Hey guys, I'm Kelly Wolf, and this is the Flow Podcast. I feel like I have to clear something up. So when people hear the word flow, they always ask me, is this a yoga class or just something that can happen when you're surfing? But this flow stands for finding love over worry. And this podcast is all about the ways that you can have more flow in your life. On the Flow Podcast, I'm going to share my wisdom as a coach, a writer, a speaker, and a mama. I want to give you all the goods so that you can start your flow journey today. All right, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf which is flow spelled backwards. I just have to always say that because I think if it gets lost in translation, that's problematic because that's the magic. And guess who I have with me today? The one and only, the magic maker, Miss Libby Moore. You guys got to hear from Libby last season, which was incredible. And Libby and I spoke and decided that we wanted to do a two-part series for you for this season. And as I told you in episode one, the intention around this season is expertise. We want to talk about mastery and not being an expert in the way of drive and hustle, but what is mastery at its core? How do we do that? And I sort of teed off this season with talking about energy. I feel like Libby is one of the more masterful people I know when it comes to energy, both reading it and being in it before we started this interview. And I feel like before most conversations that I've had with Libby, especially where there's going to be a connection between us and the outside world, she always does uh, deep breathing and intention setting. As you know from last time, and I'll just give you a teeny tiny bio this time, please go back and listen to the episode from season two. It was just called Libby Moore. (laughs) the magic maker. I think it was called Libby Moore, Oprah's former chief of staff. So I would say obviously one of the big highlight reels and probably the thing that, you know, captured your eye was the O word, otherwise known as the Oprah word. And in the first episode, we definitely talked a lot about Libby's journey. So today, today was going to be more in that mastery section, in the mastermind section. And I felt like one of the things that was really meaningful to me when I first met Libby was uh, her ability for storytelling, not to put her on the spot, but I thought it'd be fun to tell some stories today. So before I jump into it, hi, Libby. Hi, I'm so happy to be here again. Thank you. We get to have the fun, fun of being in the same room, Yeah. very close together because our mic wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, especially working for Oprah, days when technical things went awry or did that never happen? It definitely happened. I didn't work in her tech world. So (laughs) thankfully that was not my responsibility. But yeah, of course, like tech things always happened. And there were all those, you know, magic, magical, technical angels that would swoop in and take care of it. Are those the professional people that know what to do? Yes, of course, which I would not be one of those. In the key of storytelling. And I'm not going to tee you up on all of the bio stuff because we can go back to that episode and listen to it because we just spent 45 minutes trying to figure out our tech situation. Tell me a day when you worked at Harpo where something felt upside down and how you pulled it back together. So AKA today we had mics fall apart. 
they didn't fall apart, but they weren't, they weren't working. And we found a solution. And if you sort of tap into, maybe you can't remember an exact day, but from the Libby Moore playbook, what is something that you do when things feel a little, uh, I don't want to say falling apart, but if it's tech issues, I think if people are just generally in a meeting and the meeting is going sideways, the electricity goes out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things that feel sort of out of your hands. And if they're out of your ability to fix, what's your way of getting back into a grounding space and not letting that become the overriding vibration? Okay. So I'm going to tell you the first story that popped into my head, and then I will tell you what I do now. So the story that popped into my head when you said, what's something that happened that went awry? And that would be maybe 2006. I can't remember. And Oprah was opening the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for girls in South Africa. And it was going to be happening just after Christmas and through New Year. So she invited all these people to come. I think it was 150 people, family, friends, and VIPs to come from the States to South Africa for the opening of her school. And then she had a big New Year's Eve party. I think people were there for a full week. And so we flew over early to, of course, get ready and blah, blah, blah. Well, (laughs) she has her own plane and we flew from Chicago to New York, picked up Gail and then flew. We were flying um, New York, the Canary Islands, refueling in the Canary Islands and then flying on to South Africa. So the long story short is somewhere between New York City and the Canary Islands while we're over the Atlantic Ocean, I realized I forgot my passport because it's a private plane and you're not going through TSA or you know, and normally there would be these lines of defense, you know, but for some reason, because we were so frazzled and there was so much going on before this big event that everyone forgot to ask about, well, I forgot my passport. That's the bottom line. And then I realized after going to the pilots and pilots and saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot my passport. They're like, oh my God, we forgot to ask you guys for your passports. And then we figured out a solution. And then I sit down and I realize, oh my God, I forgot I think I forgot Oprah's passport too. I wonder if she remembered it in the safe. So I go back to where she was sleeping and I said, I'm so sorry to wake you. By any chance, did you bring your passport? And she said, oh my God, I forgot my passport. And I said, I forgot mine too. And I'm so sorry. And so the bottom line is by the time we landed in the Canary Islands, I did a number of things and talked to the head of security who was in South Africa, who had done the advance. He said, don't worry, I've already talked to the people. They'll let you, you know, go from the plane to the hotel. And then we'll have Lisa Halliday, the chief of communications, bring your passports over the next day. So it was all good. Well, so, phew, okay, problem averted. We land in South Africa, how many hours later, 10 hours later or something. And the director of security got on the plane and said, Libby, I need to talk to you. There's a problem the guy who gave us the okay for you to get off the plane is at a funeral. They last for about seven, six hours. So they will not let you and Miss Winfrey off the plane until the guy gets back here to give that approval. So we sat on her plane on the tarmac for another six hours after flying so many hours and I was freaking out. So that is always the first thing that pops into my head with what was the biggest problem. And long story short, we eventually got off the plane six hours later. We had to have um, someone from the U.S. Embassy in, in uh, Johannesburg fly up in a helicopter to bring us two temporary passports so we could actually get off the plane. It was crazy. 
My point of saying all this is that I went into, oh my God, I'm so sorry. The whole time, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. Like weak, apologizing 150 times. By the time we got off the plane and she was super cool. I mean, she was super cool up until about hour five. And then she said, if my name was blank, I'm not going to say the name, but she said, if my name were beep, your ass would be fired right now. And I'm like, I know, I'm so sorry. You know, She was really amazing. And then we go to the hotel and she went to sleep and I made another executive decision. I just don't even want to go into the details. I feel stressed just explaining it, but there was the wrong decision. And she just was like, oh my God. So the bottom line is that night I went to my room and I called my girlfriend at the time and she was like, you know what? I go, oh my God, I made this mistake. I was super weak and like whiny and blah, blah, blah. She said, Libby, you need to go in there tomorrow morning, put your shoulders back, have a fresh energy, be confident. You already apologized a thousand times and move forward as a fresh day. You are annoying her now. You need to stop like groveling and be strong and confident. And that's exactly what I did. And that shifted the energy. So that morning when I went in, even though I could tell she was a little off still, I just said, good morning. You know, how is everybody? And act as as if it's a brand new day and move forward. And she said, do you want to go have breakfast? And I said, yes. We went down and had breakfast. And I just said, I know what happened yesterday. It won't happen again. I'm suggesting that we move forward now in this moment as a fresh day. And she said, done. And we just move forward. So I'm saying all that to say, even when really bad stuff goes down where you think I'm about to get fired, it's all about energy. And I needed someone to remind me of how to realign in this higher vibration, this higher energy, and this confidence to move forward in that day. How do we find, I love that you said it's all about energy. So you can't know this because it's not out yet. The first episode of this season, I said the thing that is most dominant in my thought process right now in my world is this idea of, of energy and sort of, you know, I I'm, I'm a little careful to say energy mastery because I don't think that's really the point. I think it's more energy observation. You know, are we able to see our energy? Are we able to see other people's energy and then how it then transfers into all the outcomes of our life? And when you said that, just kind of reframing it, I think that's the key. That is the way to shift it. How do we find, and I'm going to that exact same story that you're talking about, because I think this would relate to a lot of people. And I know exactly what you mean when you over apologize and you're, I could feel it. You get into that state where you feel mousy and you feel small and you feel scared and you know, it's annoying. I mean, I've been in that state where I'm like, I, this is so annoying. I'm annoying myself, but where do we find that balance of going? I want to be apologetic. I want to take ownership. I want to say I did the thing wrong. How would we tap into the moment where we are meant to shift? Because we do need to take ownership, right? I mean, don't you agree that you would need to say, that's on me. I fucked up. Here's how we're going to move forward. Because I think the difference would be, let's say somebody who's a little bit more narcissistic just absolves themselves from the situation. Well, the pilot should have asked us. That could be another path. You could completely avert (laughs) responsibility onto somebody else, right? So somebody like you or me who would go into that mousy place, when do we know it's time to turn the corner? Well, you just said it, which is you started to annoy yourself and you could feel it that you were being this mousy person. In my situation, I could feel it in that moment. Like, ooh, I'm, I'm annoying myself right now. So one, it's energy. We can feel it. We know when we're, of course, we're going to say, of course, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, because it was my 
fought. Ultimately, I'm responsible. Even if the pilots don't ask or the bodyguard or my assistant, ultimately I'm responsible and I took that responsibility. After apologizing what may maybe three times would have been appropriate, (laughs) you know, even two, it's just like, it's done, shoulders back, deep breath, slow exhale, move forward because groveling and being whiny and annoying is not going to help anything. It's just going to keep the energy and the vibration low. So she might meet you down there and be angry. But if you raise your vibration, which she did at breakfast, because I I was up here. So she met me up, up there. Does that make sense? 1000%. And I want to say something that popped into my head when I got to your house today and I couldn't find you guys. And I was like, Hey, and then I came upstairs and then you were with Lucy and Jackson And then you came out of the room and then he came out and said, mom, I'm sorry. And you guys had that lovely just hug. And you said, thank you so much for saying that. And then it was like, and then he just went on and everything was fine. He wasn't being a baby about it or groveling, whatever that was. I thought, wow, that's so mature for him to come out and say, mom, I'm sorry for saying that or doing that, whatever he said. And you embraced him. You met him at that place. And then you just moved on with your days. Mm. I'm 55. He's not yet. Same exact thing. It's so true. Yeah. So this morning we're at my house, we're in Vancouver and Libby had to come here early so she could get some work done. And then it just was working out for our timing. So when she came in, it was my morning and everybody was going to school. And I don't even think I heard you ring the doorbell, but Lucy's not feeling well today. So she stayed home. So this is where like chaos ensues, right? Or you can perceive it that way, which is actually exactly what we're going to talk about because this is exactly perfect. So Lucy stays home. Jackson sees that Lucy is staying home and he's quote unquote, not feeling well after he's confirmed that I (laughs) will clearly let somebody stay home. And now we're, you know, it's COVID times. And so I'm a little bit more, your tummy hurts. You've got to stay home. I mean, I think the school sends this thing out, right? So I can tell something's not lining up with him. He is not feeling bad. It's really obvious to me. And then I kind of had this rush of like, no, you cannot stay home. We've got to push through. I pulled in my parents from 1985 and I walked back in there, but he was not great. He kept crying and just was just in a funky, funky space. And finally he, when you came in and I heard you and I came back out and he came and apologized. I didn't know what he was even apologizing for, but when I went back in, he said, I just need a mental health day, which is so cute and funny and wonderful to me that he had had a tough thing happen socially. He was feeling overwhelmed by it. He hadn't quite worked through it and he needed a minute. And after that moment happened, you're absolutely right. A, our energy completely shifted and we found each other in the true space, in the right space. And B, I kind of had a revelation of he taught me something in that moment that if you are trying to, you know, we've got to get past this, like push through all the things and just be okay and pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Yes. I think there's a time and space for it. And I think there's a time and space for everybody, kids, adults, doesn't matter to have that space to go. I just need a minute to recalibrate. And I think I was telling you like recalibrate and ride your bike and, you know, play outside and run around. But if you're sick, we were laughing about how in our childhood you would stay in the game. Did you stay in the sick game all day? Oh yeah, absolutely. I played it. I was, and the Academy goes too. Yeah. We would just stay in it all day. Mm -hmm. When you were homesick, did you get to do fun stuff? Did your mom like let you watch TV? Do you remember? 
No, she was actually great. And she would go to the store and come home with like little plastic cowboys and Indians, which I loved. Like here, I hope you feel better. And I would just, you know, play in bed with the little toys. Are you kidding me? No. Is that that real? Yeah. She'd make like a soft egg. (laughs) No, I love what she's doing, but I think it's just the sweetest thing (laughs) that you would legit. I'm talking about when you were faking it, not when you were actually sick. When you were faking it, you'd stay playing in your room. Oh man, you were like the golden child. (laughs) What would you do? Mm. As soon as she wasn't paying attention or had to go to work, I turned the TV on and like ate Doritos and stuff. If I could get my hands right. on them. I mean, even if I could, let's say I could like leave the house without anybody knowing I might walk down to the store and just buy a bunch of Skittles and stuff like that. No, you weren't doing any of that. <laughs> no, that's Never. if I was faking. If I was really sick, of course, I'm going to stay in my bed. Right. That's that wasn't funny. you. No. Mm-mm. Were you the golden child? God, no, no. Do you know what I've missed? What I've missed probably the most over the last couple of years, it's that deep connection, especially that deep connection that would happen over dinner, over a beautiful bottle of wine. So this year, personally, I have made a commitment to make my moments. And that is the tagline of my favorite winery, 1111 Wines. 1111 is a luxury brand and a female-run winery. They focus on connections, bringing people together, and just that essence of synchronicity. They believe in being present while you enjoy wine and food and company. And doesn't that sound so good right now? I love giving 1111 wine as a gift. It just hits in a really special way. When you get a box of 1111 wine on your doorstep, there is no person that I know that would be sad about that. I love doing this for holiday gifts, which guys, it's going to come upon us really fast. So, you know, get on top of that. Corporate gifts, or sometimes just celebrating your friends and loved ones. And, And people, reminder, you can get gifts for yourself. We can do things for ourselves. That's really important. There are 14 small production varietals in the wine portfolio. All of them I have tried and all of them I love. So today, don't wait. Go to 1111wines.com and get something special for yourself because it's time to make your moment. If I told you all the awards that Vintner's Daughter has won, we could be here for an hour. Glamour, bizarre, town and country, pop sugar. They say things like best beauty product, best skincare, best essence, best serum. And when you try this legendary duo, I think you're going to be a fan too. The active treatment essence and the active botanical serum have earned their spot at the table. I know I'm going to sound like the proud mom at the school play, but I have to tell you, there are some really important pieces to purchasing Vintner's Daughter. You know, all products don't come the same. There are certain companies that go that extra mile and Vintner's Daughter is one of them. It's not just about the product anymore. It's about what the company does. And this company is committed to their social impact. They are committed to sustainability. They are vegan. They are cruelty-free. This is a clean beauty product. There's no toxins in this product. It is carbon neutral. It has the highest classification that you can get for green certification, and they are on the cusp of becoming a B Corp. Guys, if you don't know what a B Corp is, you have to go see how incredibly hard it is to become a B Corp and the commitment that a company makes when they've reached that pinnacle. I believe in investing in things that make a difference and Vintner's Daughter will make a difference in your skin and they're also making a difference in the world. Vintner's Daughter believes in a fewer is better approach. 
When you go to their website, you're not going to see hundreds of products. You're going to see two. Go to vintnersdaughter.com today. That is V-I-N-T-N-E-R-S daughter.com. They offer two-day complimentary shipping and they have a subscription program where you will get your sixth bottle for free. You guys, you are going to thank me later. What was your MO? Were you a pretty like by the rules kind of kid? Yeah, actually, yes. I was by the rules. Remember my sister said, like I could be mean. My family used to call me the standard bearer of the family. So I'm the second oldest. I have an older sister, younger brother, younger sister. And I was kind of telling everyone what to do. And I was obsessed with my mom. I was like her disciple. So if they were giving her a hard time, I'd be like, stop yelling at mom. I'm going to tell dad, you know, when when he had something. Like, I just was a little tattletale, honestly. And I think I really was trying to create this value for myself because I wasn't the oldest. I wasn't the only boy. And I wasn't the youngest, the baby. I was just the second oldest who was like, super easy. I wasn't a problem child. So I thought, well, God, so you're going to toe the line. Well, like I keep people accountable. Yes. Because I felt like, oh, this is my value. And, and getting my mom's attention. If you're not a problem child and you're one of four, you don't need extra attention. You, they probably get the least attention, the easiest ones. So I think that by like caretaking my mom emotionally, I saw her response to that and that was love to me and that was value and worthiness. So then I built a whole freaking career out of it. I mean, basically by, you know, managing the lives or being an assistant to high profile people for almost 20 years. And then I got paid to do it. So I was going to ask you that now I'm a coach. I mean, hello. If (laughs) you are a rule follower child. Yeah. Do you, are you a rule follower adult? I would say yes. I mean, my 20s were crazy. I would say from like 10th grade to to about, I don't know, I came out at 27. So definitely 10th grade to 25 years old. I was pretty wild, but I wasn't doing like super illegal things. I was just kind of like, what's wild? What's one of your more wild uh, moments? I love how people define wild because it won't be hysterical. I bet my wild is not your wild. Oh, you're for sure you're cowboys wild. and Indians with plastic <laughs> toys, and I'm like on my bike, like Stranger Things style, racing to the grocery store for Skittles. <laughs> yeah, I think your wild would definitely out out play my wild. My mine would be very Fisher Price. I just mean I drank a lot. You know, alcohol was kind of my go to thing. So and food until I came out, just a partier in that sense. You didn't break the rules, even within your party structure. Would you push the boundary line? Like if a, if a sign says, don't walk on the grass, yeah. will you walk on the grass? Oh yeah. Okay. Now it's all clicking. Friends from college that would watch this or listen to this would be like, oh my God, has she just blacked everything out? Like I would definitely toe the line and, and do some illegal things for sure, but which I'm not going to talk about. No, you should. <laughs> I would not recommend it, yeah. but it's funny. Scott and I talk about this. Like, yeah. Okay, so let's say there's a concert and you're late for the concert Mm -hmm. and it's your favorite band on the planet Earth Mm -hmm. and there's a park between you and the concert venue. Yeah. Or there's roads that would take, let's call it 20 extra minutes, but walking through the park would take you five minutes. But it says, do not walk on the grass. Maybe for no reason. It's hard to tell. It's grass. We Mm -hmm. don't really know. Would you walk through on the grass or would you take the road? Oh, 100%. I would walk through the grass. You would? Yeah. Okay. This is fascinating to me. And why is it fascinating to me? If you had to identify me as like a rule breaker, a rule follower, Mm -hmm. what would you say? You can't get this wrong. 
Well, it's interesting because I think you're a rule follower, but I think back in the day, you you probably had that wild streak. But I would think you're a rule follower. Okay, so this is a, f- I don't know. I, yes, I am. I definitely would not walk on the grass. <laughs> really? No. Wow. <laughs> Scott would drag me through the grass. Maybe it's an East Coast thing. Maybe. He's, you know, Jersey, <laughs> Maryland. That's but funny. he would be like, are you insane? Yeah. If we had to say catch a flight, he would go up on the side row, you know, like up on the shoulder yeah. to get to get to the airport. Yeah. I would miss the flight. Yeah. You know, those are the differences right. between he and I, because that that kind of breaking the rules I cannot do. Okay. Even in my most pushing of the boundaries, I still couldn't walk on the grass. Isn't that hysterical? Wow. Like I I was doing other things, but I couldn't do that thing. I don't know what that is psychologically. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me when you say your name is the standard bear, but yet you'll walk on the grass when the sign says don't walk. And does that combination serve you in the way you have done your work? Because here's what's interesting to me. If you are, like you said, people-pleasing extraordinaire, sort of weaned to people-please, which makes you excellent at your work, but there's a side of you that could maybe push the line or walk on the grass to get to the other side. Yes, no, yeah, right or wrong, mm-hmm. right? Do you think that's a benefit when it comes to those types of, of jobs that you could, I don't want to call it break the rules, but push the boundary, but you still have to have, does that make any sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Like you still have to have that, you know, that like pillar of integrity, the ability to care about the other person's experience to quote unquote, people please to the highest degree, and then also have the ability to find a through line right? Would you say that's true at that level of of work that you've done in your life? Where do you sometimes have to find a creative solution to something that might be walking on the grass instead of taking the road? Does that make sense? You're not getting this. I don't know that I'm following you. (laughs) As as Kelly knows, I'm a literal person. I speak in metaphor and you speak in literal. I'm literal. I mean, I have to tell my friends. Here's a literal question of that metaphor. Bear with us, people. No, this is this is perfect. <laughs> if you're at work and something needs to get done, but the thing that needs to get done has some rules and barriers around it, but there is a path forward that would make that you'd have to uh, mm-hmm. finagle something. Yeah. Could you do that? Would you do that? And how do you do that? Is that a more clear way of yeah, saying it? Yeah, I think so. I mean- some things popped up in my head that I'm not going to share. Like, no, no, I, you don't have to share details. It's yeah. more, it's more energy and how to's. Cause this is, this is bringing me to something else. I'm curious. About. Okay. I feel that I can, I can finagle it depending on what it is because I have integrity too. So, you know, and then some people are like, well, I wouldn't finagle. So everyone's different. Everyone comes from different life experiences and every single experience that comes into our life is different. So it's hard to just give a blanket statement. I mean, but, but what I would say is back to energy and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not even answering your question right now, but here's what popped into my head. I don't even know if this is like, as a coach, we both were trained through Martha Beck life coach training. That's where we met. And there are certain things that they say like, oh, you know, you shouldn't use your own life experiences or, you know, just listen and did a. And there are many times where I'm coaching someone, I think I'll share, I'll say, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. And here's what happened to me. And what I've found is that people 
are always very grateful for you sharing because as coaches, a lot of people think, or there's this perception, like we've mastered or we're expertise. We're still working on it. There's our lives. There's no finish line. So I have shared the good, the bad, and it's not the conversation. It's just a nugget to say, I know how you feel. And this is what happened to me when I was in that situation. Yeah. You That's too? Exactly. Would you do the same? Oh, 100%. I think that, and that it that totally answers the question that Sure. Are there constructs in life? Yes. Are they there for a reason? Yes. Can you sometimes just trust your own intuition and your own energy to get to the side? And I think if you, if you trust your integrity, which I know you do, and I do, I know what my intention is. And I know that my intention is to do no harm and to show up in the best way possible. And so sometimes if that means that we throw out the playbook a little bit, yes, I think so. But it's an interesting thing because I think this is coming up a lot. It's coming up a lot universally. It's coming up a lot in the world. As you guys know, in this podcast, I love a conversation. So that's what this is. This is a conversation. We're not here with a list of questions. We're just having a typical Kelly Libby conversation. Going with the flow. We're going with the flow. And that thing, again, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but stay with me. Because this keeps coming up for me that it's like this individuality our ability to trust ourselves, our ability to think for ourselves. When does it break bad because we're taking it too far and maybe you weren't supposed to walk on the grass because they've just seeded it and it's going to kill the grass. I'm using a metaphor again. Well, interesting because my dad has been in sod farms his entire life. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, And landscaping. So it is kind of interesting metaphorically how you keep bringing this up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's not. And it's not an accident. And again, this is like my promise for the season was to bring mastery, you know? So a lot of my interviews are, are with people who have in whatever field they're in, they're an expertise in that field. And to me, for you, one of the things that you are an expert in is, is energy (laughs) and people pleasing, but in a good way, like in a way that you've been able to take what you've talked about before of kind of being raised to be so expert at that and then using it to your advantage. But in the case of the seeded greens, I think, again, this is a tangent. I'm just curious what you think about this. And maybe it won't make any sense to you that I think energetically and universally, there is uh, an epidemic of depending, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, of walking on the grass and not really thinking about why the sign says don't walk on the grass. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sort of. Sort of. So when you walked in the house this morning, what did you see? Don't be like, I, we're, we're not meant to be polite right now. Was it a little bit crazy? Well, I just didn't know where anyone was. I was saying, Kelly, and I didn't ring the doorbell, by the way, because you had given me the code. So I just came in. And um, then the worker, you know, so, and then I was like, Kelly, Kelly, you know, where, and I heard some voices, but I couldn't figure out where in the house it was. And I went into the kitchen and clearly, you know, like you had just done the whole breakfast thing. And then I came upstairs to your office and that's when I saw you and Jackson come out. I thought about this after, cause I was thinking about our talk and just this interview. And so when Libby walked in this morning, as everybody will relate to it was like bomb goes off, right? I mean, the morning is just, I call it the Olympics because it feels like the Olympics. You know, somebody forgot a sock, go back up and down, you know, make all the lunches, get everybody out the door. There's all these separate times that they're going out the door. 
and it's super intense. And then it kind of completely drops down. And what I was wondering, because I always think about this, you've worked for empires, like what I would say, people who have built an empire, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to call it that. And is chaos abounding in every environment, even at super high levels? Or have people who have created empires figured out how to not have chaos surrounding them? Well, I would say based on, I can only speak of my own experiences with Jan Wenner, Rolling Stone, Wenner Media, Oprah. There's always chaos in some aspect, but it's organized. It's not like it's happening 24 seven, like every morning from seven to eight, when you get your kids off to school, it's like the Olympics. It's not really like that. I, I wouldn't say like getting ready for a show or the show's about to start. Yes. There's a certain amount of kind of organized chaos with the producers and, oh my God, where's that guest? And they should be here and in the makeup chair and bup, 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 bup. Yet I was fortunate that I was working <laughs> as Oprah's chief of staff. And at that level, you've got a lot of layers managing all the chaos. So for me, it was more like when we would get out to the door for a big trip, I used to call it like um, getting the kids off to camp, like getting her out the door on a big trip where you've got, you know, five different countries to go to, and she's going to be gone for X number of weeks. And there's all these massive events and just checking all the boxes. And there was a team of five assistants. We all worked together to make sure that would happen. And still there was just so much happening because there's so much in her life. There's so many different businesses and things like that to, to take care of. Have you ever heard the saying, health is wealth? Health is wealth. That saying never really resonated with me until the last couple of years, until I realized that when you don't feel good, everything starts to fall apart. Everything becomes harder. Well, I have a solution for you. My friend and owner and creator of Blueberry Nutrition, Joanne Show, who has already helped women across America to find self-love and reshape their lives through her healthy habits practice. Joanne creates custom programs for every single individual client. Her programs are based in behavioral science, and it will give each individual person a new playbook of healthy habits they can implement immediately. Here's the thing about Joe. Yeah, I said Joe instead of Joanne, because you'll call her Joe too, is that she is kind, she's clear, she's compassionate. You get all of this incredible information over the phone or Zoom. You don't even have to leave your house. So for me, my personal recommendation would be to do the online Nexus program. This can be used for just a quick attitude shift. And I love this idea of an attitude shift because a lot of these techniques and tools are all going to come from how we think. This is why it fits perfectly with our flow protocols. I know how this goes. As soon as the holidays come around, everything that you need or want is gonna go onto the back burner. So if I were you, I would get on board, go to blueberry-nutrition.com and start this wellness journey for yourself today. You guys, we get to sign up. We can sign up today. You can buy a session and you are going to get 10% off when you use code FLOW, F-L-O-W. Again, that is blueberry hyphen or dash nutrition.com where you can sign up and start your journey today. I have a soft spot for Margaret Webb because she's a friend. She's a sponsor of Flow. And she's also a person who has helped me navigate complicated issues with my middle child. My middle child has severe anxiety 
and Margaret has helped me come up with tangible ways that I can ease his suffering as well as put more joy into our household overall. When your child is struggling from being on a different developmental timeline, it can feel very alone and isolating. Margaret currently has a self-guided class on her website called Parenting the Child You Didn't Expect. It's a really powerful course. It has 10 sessions inside of the course and you can download it and you can do it on your own timeline. She's also offering flow participants a free session. If you go to her website, Margaret Webb, that's two B's, margaretweblifecoach.com and you go to one-on-one sessions, click on it and you will see an option for a free flow session. So if you've gone through the self-guided class and you want to keep doing more, I highly recommend reaching out. margaretweblifecoach.com and I promise you won't feel alone. So how does she not feel and plug into the chaos? You think if it's dispersed enough, and there's enough people with their eye on the ball that no no one individual feels that? Well, in her case, for example, I'm thinking of the final shows at the United Center in Chicago, which were massive. The wrapping up of the Oprah Winfrey show after 25 years. It was massive. So for the, the producers and the executive producer and the associate producers and the production assistants and everybody on those teams, I am sure their head was popping off all day and weeks leading up to it. But in that moment, those when they were recording the shows, thousands of people in the audience at the United Center, I'm sure it was insane. For Oprah, it wasn't because she is managing herself and her own energy. So she's coming in, she's going into the makeup room, she's in the hair and makeup chair, She liked having a calm energy around her. She would start her day in meditation, prayer, journaling, whatever she would do, and come in. Her presence would be very calm. So even if people were really frenetic around her, it was so obvious because her energy was very grounded and calm. And at one point, she even had something framed and put into her makeup room. It's a quote by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor who wrote My Stroke of Insight, a neuroscientist who had a stroke. And it said something like, I'm paraphrasing, um, be responsible for the energy you bring into this room. Take that in, folks. Yeah. Be responsible for the energy that you bring into this room. Yes. And can I bridge to that? So talking about flow, which is your whole work, it's your methodology, it's finding love over fear. It's love is everything. So how do you stay in that energy of love? And and none of this work that we're doing is new. It's been around forever. We're all just human beings thinking of how do we articulate it and how do we explain it to ourselves and others? So for me, the quickest way to get into that energy is to deep breath, slow exhale, just taking a moment, doing three deep breaths in, slow exhales out, relaxing your shoulders on the way down, And like we did before this, we just set an intention, whatever these people most need to hear in this conversation, thank you for speaking from our heart to their heart. And whatever we need to hear, thank you for speaking from their heart to our heart for the greater good of everyone concerned. Even that one intention, whether you call it a prayer or an intention, it raises the vibration and and ripples out through our conversation, heart to heart, energy to energy. Does that make sense? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the number one thing for all of us to consider, you know, if we kind of take that through line of 
you are responsible for your energy and how you come into a room. You know, when you were telling that story, I almost had this image of, and it could be Oprah, but it could be anybody, anybody who's, who's holding that calm. And we can also say, well, sure, it might be easy to hold that calm if you have all this, this support around you. But the only reason you have all that support around you is because you're doing that much work at that, at that level, right? So we can take that down to whatever whatever situation you're in, you know, you don't have to be Oprah. I just think it's whatever you're doing. If you're able to hold that line, the image that I had was somebody walking into a space, like you said, coming in frenetic and coming in hyped up and either two, one of two things would happen. They would either bounce out of the room for whatever reason, like it's almost like a force field or they would come down, right? It's it, there's really nothing else to do. If you experience that kind of thing, you really are. You either <laughs> you either leave, not because you even know why. It's like your phone rings or somebody's called your name, and so you leave. But that energy doesn't keep you around. I think that's really true. And like what you said about flow, there's all these different levels of it. And I love to talk about this because when somebody's really teed up and really hyped up, the breathing in and out is going to bring you down and then maybe just little tiny moments of gratitude are going to bring you back into that love space, but it's going to feel hard and it might even feel annoying. So when you're in that space, you might be like, I love that tree, you know, just with a crap kind of thing, but just to pull you back into that space. And then when we're say talking about somebody like Oprah, she's having to, I would imagine, and tell me where I'm right or wrong about this, having to create an environment that maintains that, or there's no way that you can do that work. I don't believe that it would be possible if there was not some kind of force field. There's so many people and so much coming at you that there's literally probably no way to survive it without that type of force field. And that's the bigger conversation that I am fascinated by, you know, forget about building empires or, or running massive companies. If each one of us, every single individual person did some kind of work around this to really absorb what this means. Can you imagine what that would be like if we all took that one beat? I am without a doubt guilty as charged of getting so teed up and I watch it happen around me. I can watch the energy shift around me. I can watch people interpret me in different ways than when I'm doing that, that little bit of work. Is that something that you can relate to? Is that something that you have noticed and you know, tell me more about that in, in your life. Well, I would say the image that popped into my head is let's say in one of these rooms in your house, there's, you walk in and there's heavy metal music playing and that is a vibration and it's loud and it either resonates with you or it doesn't. And then you go into another room and there's classical music playing. And then there's another room and there's dance music. And then there's a chill loungy music. Which room do you want to go in? Mm. Based on where you are right now, which resonates with you the most? Which aligns with your vibration? If you, if a person is super angry and there's so much pain and sadness and anger in them that that's, they just, it's, it's, it wants to be released. And that heavy metal music in that moment it's like a way of getting it out They for what they can't express. I'm not saying heavy metal music is bad. I'm just saying that it, it's expre- It's a, a musical expression of something from within them that either can't get expressed or needs to be expressed through the music. 
And the opposite is true for the classical music or the chill out lounge or, oh, I want to, you know, think I'm in the 90s in a club and just dance and feel free. And, you know, it's there's so many different varieties of music that resonate with the vibration within us, whatever we want or needs to be expressed. I had such an aha when you were just saying that. Sorry, really? I'm cutting you off. Tell me. What was it? Okay, two things. And you just pointed to this. It's no judgment on the music. Zero. It's about knowing where you are at any given moment and what the reason is that you're plugging into that thing. So that what doesn't happen is at that moment of heightened energy where you want to go into the heavy metal room, you're also going to be surrounded by other people who are in that exact same state. They were all gravitationally pulled to the heavy metal room. If you stay in there for a really long time, that's becoming more of your of your being. So pay attention to it. It's it's almost like that movie Inside Out and it has it's that Disney movie of all the little emotions. They're all adorable. They're all deserving of love. They're little kids, you know, and they're just amazing. And they're blue and red and yellow and green. And I feel like that when you use that metaphor and you did a metaphor. Yay. Yay. So in that same metaphor if we can decide that it's not about judgment, but that it is about, could you be doubling down in the heavy metal room? Could you be doubling down in the chill room? You know, just be aware of what A, you're drawing in and what B, you're putting out. And I think that that deep breath, slow exhale for me, that's the observer stance. That's the place where I just wake up. You know, it's kind of like, this is where it gets so cool. And I, do, I talk about this in, in the book, being the driver. I showed up at pickup the other day and I was teed the F up. I mean, it was, I would have had like electric shocks coming out of me. I just had so much going on and I was a little agitated. Like this sweet woman had like, was trying to park and I was trying to park and I was trying to tell her to go into this parking spot, but she wasn't understanding that I was telling her to go in the parking spot. And so we were kind of in this weird zone and I threw my hands up in there, like, you know, like Larry David style. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know that I did it. And when we both got out of the car, she came over, she's like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just stopped and I said, absolutely not. That was on me. I'm so sorry that I did my hands that way. We were both trying to tell each other a kind thing. You were trying to tell me to park. I was trying to tell you to park. And I'm really overwhelmed right now. And I just kind of energetically took it out on you. And she was like, Okay. <laughs> Because I was coming in way that. too strong for her. But I think when I showed up at, 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 at pickup, I meet this new mom. Okay. And she comes up to me and she says, I'm a new mom. And I'm like, eh, I'm just a teed up ball of fire. And I left and I was like, oh my God, I really liked her. And I feel like I was just a freaking crazy town. And that's not me. And for me, it was more about like, can I just observe those moments so I can be myself? If I am a teed up individual, that's great. <laughs> know thyself. Yeah. You know, right. it's kind of the man, know thyself. Have you, have you heard me say this before? But it's not me. According to, I think my dad told me this, that that's the first thing that was ever found in written word. Hmm. It says, man, know thyself. It wasn't written in English, but that's the first thing we know about. Hmm. Come on now. Wow. Like that's the first sentence we know about. Yeah. Man, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Woman, know thyself human know thyself. So yeah, the man know thyself sentence is just always in the back of my mind because the, just the idea that we would know ourselves well enough to know if I'm in the heavy metal room or I'm walking on the grass or whatever metaphor we use today, that we 
are that we have the consciousness to understand that we're making a choice. Yes. That that is a choice and that the energy around it is a choice. I wanted to let everybody know this is going to be a two-part conversation. So tune in next week for the second part of this conversation. And we're going to keep rolling with our Libby and Kelly combos in terms of energy and mastery. Oh, before we wrap this up, though, I have to do the three M's. Did you have a good nutritious thing today? Or did you have anything that was not even nutritious? What was your munch today? My munch was coffee with a rice cake with almond butter and um, bananas. That was your same one as last time. I know. I love the consistency. Every morning. And then I had some vegan or non-dairy yogurt with berries here before we started. I have all my goodies for you and your family. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.